Welcome to the Beach House 34 podcast, where we dive into the world of the unexplained, the mysterious, and the eerie. Urge yourself to listen to stories about haunted houses, things that go bump in the night, and make you question your mental faculties. Sure to make you look over your shoulder at every dark corner. Here's your host, Christine Worth. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing and continuing on with the Halloween-themed episodes about a haunted location that'll send chills up your spine. Beginning on July 9th of 1974, a series of events occurred to one typical Midwestern family in the small town of Merrill, Michigan. Population of around 700 people. What happened to them would haunt them for the rest of their lives. To this day, no one really knows what was in the house and evidently still exists there today. What you'll hear in today's podcast is their harrowing story. This is the story of the house on Dice Road. In 1951, the Pomeranians, Harold and Mabel, built a home in Merrill, Michigan. Two years later, their oldest son, Dwayne, was born, and two years after that, Terry was born. Everything was great for many years until someone new purchased the home across the street. A couple had purchased the home across the street. And one day, the woman who had just moved in came across the street over to the Pomeranian home and knocked on the door and asked Harold if he wanted to sell his house. Now, Harold, he thought this was strange because these people had just moved into a brand new home. Why would they want his house? He told the woman he didn't want to sell And he thought that this was the end of the story. It wasn't. A couple of months later, she again came over and asked him if he wanted to sell. But this time she was more aggressive. Again, he refused. But this time it caused a pretty heated argument between the woman and Harold. Neighbors had begun to talk about this new family because of what they saw this woman and her husband, along with many of their friends who visited quite frequently, doing. The first strange thing was that the woman had hung three large iron X's above their garage door. The neighbors didn't know what this meant and they thought it was kind of strange. Then the neighbors would witness the woman leaving the Dice Road Cemetery right near her home at odd hours of the night. Large groups of people would gather at this house and neighbors would often see the group inside the home through the front window doing these really odd types of dances. Now, friends of the Pomeranian family, we'll call them the Smiths, 
attempted to strike up a friendship with their new neighbors. And Mrs. Smith recalled that the woman in the new home said that she was an ordained witch. After hearing this, the Smiths didn't want anything further to do with the family. One day, the oldest Pomeranian brother, Dwayne, headed outside to get the paper, but didn't come home until three hours later. His family didn't know where he had been. As he walked in the door, Dwayne looked strange. He mumbled something about being in the witch's house, candles and strange symbols, and then he fell to the floor where the, he then had a grand mall seizure. His condition was so severe that he needed a tracheotomy. Duane would recall much later in life that while he couldn't remember a lot of what happened in the home at the time, he did recall that the woman gave him something to drink, which had made him sleepy. He further recalled that she said something about him needing a haircut and that he said he didn't want one, but that she then took a pair of scissors and clipped a lock of his hair. He then watched as she put this hair in her mouth and swallowed it. It wasn't long after Duane had this encounter that odd things began to happen within the Pomeranian home. The evening of July 9th, 1974, the family, mom, Mabel, dad, Howard, and their two sons, Terry and Dwayne, went to bed at a fairly early time because the next morning was the start of blueberry season. As they're all fast asleep, they are suddenly awoken by the sound of glass breaking. Howard got up and told the rest of his family to stay in their rooms as he grabbed something to protect himself and he headed downstairs. As he walked into the living room, there was glass all over the floor and the front window had been completely shattered as if someone had thrown a brick through it. Nothing, however, was found inside the house, but the direction of the glass clearly showed that something had broken it from the outside. Immediately, Howard called 911 to report the incident. Police arrived and after checking all around the house and the location inside the house where it had happened, they could find no indication of anyone having been there, anything having, having come through the window, nothing. Then the knocking started. The family began to hear persistent knocking as if someone was outside banging on the side of the house with a baseball bat. This knocking would occur every five minutes and lasted all night. Again, police were called and they were told that someone was outside their home knocking on the house. The police considered it a prowler call and arrived at the home. Again, police could find no evidence of anyone having been outside. The knocking happened again and again, Harold called the police. This time, an officer happened to be close to the house, so he arrived rather quickly. He shined a spotlight on the house, looking for who might be causing this problem and could find nothing. This same officer 
still on the line with dispatch, could also hear Harold on the line and could also hear the knocking through his radio, yet nothing was outside the home that he could find using his spotlight. The officer told dispatch to let Harold know that he was right outside the house. So he pulled into their driveway and as soon as he did, a light along the driveway went out and he heard a sound. Then he saw glass falling on top of his squad car. The light had exploded and the pieces of glass had landed on his vehicle. The officer spoke with Harold and then headed back outside and looked all around the house. Again, no evidence that anyone had ever been there. When the officer finished searching outside, he went back inside and spoke to Harold, telling him what he had found or rather didn't find. As he's turning to leave the home, a picture fell from the wall. As he looked at this picture, he noticed that everything was still intact. The hanger for the picture was still there. There was nothing wrong with it. The picture just literally fell straight down. Now this knocking on the Pomeranian home happened every night for six months straight. And the Saginaw Police Department has dozens upon dozens of documentation from the visits to the home. It got to be where every time Harold called the police, no one wanted to go out there. One retired officer who worked on the case said that the police could simply copy and paste reports if they wanted to. They were so similar. As you might imagine, Harold was getting pretty upset that the police hadn't been able to find anything, yet this knocking continued. Both the police, as well as friends of the family, had also witnessed and heard this knocking, yet no one could find a source. Hundreds upon hundreds of man hours were dedicated to finding out what was happening at this house. Harold, during this time, turned to a friend of his that he worked with, and it was this friend's son, who was now a retired homicide detective, that told the story. Harold had told his friend about what was happening at his house and asked if his friend, let's call him Brian, would come over one night to see if maybe he could figure it out. Now, Brian headed to Harold's house one night with his son, who was about 12 at the time. And this is the same son who years later is now relaying the story. As they got to the house, Harold walked out to meet them and so did Harold and the Pomeranian family dog. Now this dog was a Doberman Pinscher and this dog concerned Brian a little bit and he asked Harold if the dog was okay. Now he never used to have to ask this question, but he did know from Harold that one night when Harold heard this knocking on the outside of his house, he let the dog out to see if the dog could find out who was doing it. The dog barked like crazy and then Harold heard what sounded like the dog being beaten and the dog had never been the same since. While inside the home, Brian and Harold sat down and talked about various theories as to what this knocking and this banging on the house could be. 
Because the sounds had been happening so often, Harold had begun to record them and play them for Brian. Now, Harold was sure that as soon as Brian got there, the pounding would start, but it didn't. Harold was frustrated because he felt embarrassed. He had a problem and told his friend about it, but the problem didn't show itself that night until Harold began to yell in frustration at whatever it was to show itself. And it did. Suddenly, there was a pounding so hard on one of the kitchen walls that the plates that were hanging there began to bounce. They then heard sounds coming from the ceiling in the kitchen. When Brian got home, he and his son walked inside their house and all of a sudden there were three knocks on their door. When the son opened the door, no one was there. This happened for the next three to five days and they took it as a warning and never again went over to Harold's house. Now the police by this time are also frustrated. So they began to do stakeouts of the Pomeranian home. And this is what it said in uh, one police report. The report is dated um, October 26th, 1974, around 9.50 p.m. And it says, I, McGaw, and wife parked in yard next door to the Pomeranians. Shortly after we arrived, a call came over our radio that there was a knocking on the southeast corner of the house. We saw nothing moving outside. We could see the south side of the house. And then again, on October 30th of 1974, again, it is Officer McCaw and his wife. They visited the Pomeranians and as they entered the home on Dice Road, they heard knocking. They, it says, we could not tell where it was coming from. During this time of the knocking, a neighbor was watching the back of the house and east side. He did not see any movement outside. Now, one of the stakeouts um, in particular was on Halloween night of 1974. And the police report from that night stated the following. A complaint came in the night of Halloween. The notes state, these officers arrived in the area at approximately 5.45 p.m. and took up our planned positions. Corporal Spear was located approximately 100 feet to the east of the home where he could observe the northeast and south sides of the home. This officer, meaning the one writing the report, was located on the west end of the home where the north, south, and west sides of the home were. This officer was approximately 150 feet from the home in a ditch on the west side of Chapin Road. A short while after taking position, this officer observed the youngest son, and this would be Terry, come from the home and walk to the doghouse just southwest of the home and scrape a metal object. It is believed that he was feeding the dog. Having done this, he walked back to the home toward the south wall. Approximately five minutes later, this officer observed the same subject come from the north side of the garage and walk toward the doghouse and stop. 
He stood there a short period and went back to the house by the first route described above. At approximately 6.30 p.m., this officer was advised by dispatch that someone was pounding on the house. This officer requested dispatch to call the party and get location of the noise. This dispatcher reported that the noise came from the north side of the home. This officer took no action as no person or animal was observed being present on this north side of the home or the west side. No one was observed during the period covering around the outer area of the home. Children escorted by adults came and left the home for approximately one hour. At approximately 6.35 p.m., I, McGaw, and Mrs. Betty McGaw arrived at the above address. Mrs. Pomeraining advised us that they had pounding again about 6.30 p.m. I called dispatch and was informed the call came in at 6.38 p.m. Unknown to the family, Sergeants Clark and Corporal Spear had the house under surveillance. Corporal Spear had the south side and the east side covered, and Sergeant Clark had the west and north side covered. Checking with both officers later in the evening, nothing was seen moving around outside at the time the pounding took place. Sergeant Clark's report says, I asked each member of the family where they were located at the time of the knocking taking place. The mother was in the living room and the oldest son was washing dishes and the youngest son was drying dishes. At the end of this entire report was this. There will be a meeting with all officers involved to decide what the next step we will take. So essentially, here's how this whole police report played out, which um, also includes some additional information. So one evening, the police heard the pounding himself and he walked on one side of the house while another officer took the other side. They were absolutely sure that they would catch whomever it was that was causing this pounding. Now that night, it had happened to be raining and the grass was wet, but they could find no evidence of any person or footprints or anything having been around the home. The police then heard what sounded like loud knocking on the front door. And over the radio, as the officer is relaying this information, he could actually hear the pounding. It was so loud. But officers in front of the house were looking straight at the front door and no one was there. It was then that the police determined that the sound had to be coming from inside the house because they could never find anything outside. Now, at the time, one of their sons, Terry, is 18 years old. And since the police can't find anything outside the house and they determine that, hey, it must be coming from inside the house, Terry is now considered a suspect. One of the former police captains who actually worked on the case stated that he got the impression that Terry knew more about what was happening in the house than he was letting on. The police had Terry take a polygraph test and Terry would later say that they tried to trick him by asking him the same questions, but in different ways. When it was all said and done, Terry passed with flying colors. 
The family, now thoroughly frustrated at this point, decided to call their pastor to come out to the house and to bless it, but he refused. The family then decided to call a Catholic priest who did come out and blessed both the inside and the outside of the home. And according to Terry, after this happened, quote, all hell broke loose. The knocking stopped, but then the explosions began. Yes, explosions. These explosions came from underneath the house and caused the entire house to shake. Most of the explosions happened below the floor in the kitchen. Now, during the time these explosions were happening in the house, police tried to record the sounds, but each time they started up the tape recorder, the tape would continue to record until eventually the tape would run out. And when they'd have to take out the tape to replace it with a brand new one, it was always during this replacement of the tape that the sounds, the explosions occurred as if whatever it was, was intelligent enough and was waiting for that exact moment to make itself known. Now the explosions were described as sounding like a sonic boom that came from just beneath their feet. One deputy estimated that the strength of the explosion was the equivalent of three quarters of a pound of TNT. One of the explosions rocked the house so hard that it caused the ceiling in the kitchen to crack from one end to the other. The police, they called in everyone they could think of to try and find the sources of this knocking and now the explosions. They called the aviation department from the nearby airport thinking that it might be coming from there. They called utility companies. They called phone companies. They called in the MSP Intelligence Technical Service Unit and still nothing could be pinpointed as to the cause of the strange occurrences within the home. And regarding these explosions, there is a police report that goes as follows. And this is a supplementary report that is done on January 5th of 1975. And within the report, it says complaints and the nature of the complaint is listed as explosions. And it goes like this. This officer was again dispatched to the above address at about 2.30 p.m. Upon arrival, this office was informed about the sergeants from Lansing that had spent the night at the residence and had departed about 6 o'clock in the morning. Nothing had happened until about 1.50 p.m. This officer arrived at about 3 p.m. with Deputy Sugar and we heard the last four blasts. Times of the blasts were as follows. 1.50 p.m., 1.58 p.m., 2.07 p.m., 2.11 p.m., 2.13, 2 2.17, 2.24, 2.28, 2.55, 3.15, 3.17, and finally, 3.48, where there were two explosions heard. It was reported to this officer by Mr. Pomeraining that while the sergeants from Lansing were at the Pomeraining home, nothing happened. 
They heard a blast or two, but they were unable to get their equipment set up to record anything on it. And at this time, in this report, there is nothing further I can add. So on January 21st of 1975, an article appeared in the Saginaw newspaper. And by this time, the Pomeranian family, they had been dealing with pounding on the house and now explosions from inside the home for six months. The Pomeranian family, they had no idea the article was even going to be published. And they only found out because of a quick trip to a local store. And here's what happened. One day, while Terry was going with his dad to the local drugstore, Terry ran inside to get a newspaper. And as he looked down, he couldn't believe what he saw on the front page. His house was pictured front and center. And underneath the article, it read, Haunted House Remains a Mystery at Merrill. The same day, Harold Pomeraining called the police to issue a formal complaint. The police report stated the following. This officer went to the Dice Road address and there spoke with the complainant who was very upset about a news article that did appear in the Saginaw News on Tuesday, January 21st, 1975. The complainant showed this officer the newspaper and pointed out the article appearing on the front page along with the news article was a picture of the complainant's home. The complainant further states that he did not give anyone permission to release this information to the public and further would like to know how the news got a hold of the information. Complainant further states that a Mr. Fred Garrett, and he was actually the author of the article, did contact him and request certain information, but complainant refused to supply any. The complainant now would like to know who these deputies and police officers are that the news makes reference to in this article. This officer assured the complainant that I had no idea who the article was referring to, but that an investigation would be conducted in an attempt to find out where the news did get the information. Also advised the complainant that this complaint would be turned over to my superiors. Now the police, they never really found out who released this information. The Saginaw News would come to the police station on a daily basis to look at their police reports from the previous day so that they could use them in the newspaper. The police though, they always removed the ones from the Pomeranian home. Now, after the article was published, the Pomeranian home became a source of interest for locals and people traveling from miles just to see this house. Now, neither the family or the police wanted this information out there. Now, while the police never, never did find out who leaked the information, it is believed to have been a member of law enforcement. And after the article, the corner where the house was located had never seen so many vehicles. People came from miles away and would stand outside, outside the Pomeranian home, trying to look around and through their closed drapes just to get a peek inside the house. 
An estimate is that thousands of cars passed by that location after the article made the paper. Now, since there was no logical explanation for what was happening at the house, and now the house was being bombarded by the public, state troopers stayed in the home for two weeks straight. Now, one evening, a couple who had driven hundreds of miles knocked on the front door of the Pomeranian home. And when Howard answered the door, they said they just wanted to see the haunted house. Harold told the couple to get lost, knowing that a trooper was right there, right inside the door and could literally make them leave at any second. At that moment, a pillow that the trooper was using, a bed pillow that was on the couch uh, where he was sleeping, lifted up in the air and hurled itself at Mabel and hit her in the back. It landed lengthwise so that the pillow covered Mabel's neck all the way down to her lower back. And it just stayed there. When two teenage family members who were also at the house, along with Terry and Dwayne, tried to take this pillow off of their mother, it wouldn't budge. They pulled with everything they had and it still wouldn't move. The pillow stayed stuck to Mabel for 10 minutes before just simply dropping to the ground. Now, another night while the police were still staying in the house, they were all sitting in the living room and one officer was sitting on the couch and nothing really fantastical was happening until all of a sudden an alarm clock that was on the floor lifted up by itself about two and a half to three feet and floated through the living room toward Harold. Harold put up his arms to defend himself, thinking he was going to get hit by this thing, but the clock just floated around his head and then went back to the position it had started in. A third incident was witnessed by about 12 to 15 people, including police officers. All of them were standing in the kitchen when all of a sudden, through the air conditioner that sat in the window, a voice was heard. It was a deep male voice that said it was going to kill Harold, Mabel, and Dwayne. Terry and Dwayne, as they got older, were never able to get that voice out of their heads. Now, because of this new incident, the police called in someone to check out this air conditioner thinking, surely there has to be some kind of speaker or electronic device inside. So someone did show up, took the whole thing apart and found absolutely nothing. A professor who worked for Duke University at the time in the parapsychology department had received a call from the Michigan State Police, uh, this Michigan State Police unit that is often referred to as the mini FBI. And this mini FBI had been contacted by local police to help try and figure out what in the world is happening inside this house. Now, the well-known professor from Duke, uh, Jerry Salfin, made the trip to the home after he had sat down to discuss things with the family and he drew a map to help the family 
kind of pinpoint where all of the incidents were happening, the family called it a night. The next morning, Jerry got up and he took a shower. After he got dressed and headed downstairs to the kitchen, he started to smell something. And he asked others if they could smell something too. And looking around the house, it was discovered that the damp towel that Jerry had just used for his shower was completely engulfed in flames. Not long after this, there was another fire in the home. And the police report for this fire stated the following, March 21st, 1975. Mr. Pomeranian advised that he had built the house himself in October, 1951, prior to his marriage, and that they had lived in the house since that time. Further, that on Wednesday night, February 12th, 1975, that they had had another fire, which they did not report. And that consisted of the burning of a roll of toilet paper hanging on the toilet paper dispenser in the bathroom. Mr. Pomeranian advised that he was not home at the time, that Mrs. Pomeranian and Duane were there at the time, and the officer re-interviewed Mrs. Pomeranian and Duane about this incident. They advised that there was approximately a half a roll of toilet paper on the dispenser, that at about 4.25 p.m., they could smell the odor of smoke in the house as they were preparing to go to church for Ash Wednesday. They went to the bathroom and looked in and saw that the roll of toilet paper was burnt almost completely through and that a couple of tiles had popped off the wall just above the toilet paper dispenser and that the curtains were singed. Undersigned officer interviewed James Dzelski and Fred Schmidt. Uh, the former is an adjuster with the Frankenmuth Mutual Insurance Company and the latter is the claims manager of the Frankenmuth Mutual Insurance Company. They advise that they were at the Pomeranian residence on the morning of Thursday, January 13th, 1975, and that the Pomeranians had showed them the toilet paper, which had burned the previous night. They advised that there was nothing left of the toilet paper with the exception of a small amount of ash which clung to the dispenser. The Pomeranians were questioned as to their willingness to take a polygraph examination as to their involvement in setting the fires. They all advised that they were willing to take the polygraph and were very desirous of reaching a conclusion to this matter as the problems in this house have been occurring since July, 1974, and they were as anxious as anybody to get the matter cleared up. So underneath this report, there was a section called Remarks, and this is what it said. Undersigned officer contacted Detective Sergeant Ronald Bouchine, polygraph examiner at the Bay City Police Post, and Sergeant Bouchine advised that he had tested Terry sometime previous in regards to another complaint, and this is a series of unexplained noises and explosions and voices which officers were unable to determine the origin of, which were taking place at the same residence. At that time, Terry passed the polygraph examination, showing that he was truthful in not knowing anything about the origin of these noises. 
Sergeant Bushine advised of the suspicions by undersigned officer and that if anyone in the family is involved, it must be Dwayne Pomeraining. However, Dwayne does have medical problems with epilepsy and is on a large amount of medication. Sergeant Bushine uh, advised that he would like to wait until the results of the lab analysis had been determined and also that the photographs have returned before testing Dwayne and Mrs. Pomeraining in this fire. It should be noted that, and this is still in the report, that two members of the Duke University Psychical Research Foundation, Durham, North Carolina, have been conducting extensive testing at the residence to determine the source of the strange noises and strange occurrences taking place there. It is felt by all parties involved that there is some supernatural phenomena occurring at this location and that it also could be the cause of the fires which have occurred. It is the understanding of undersigned officer that the burning of the roll of toilet paper is next to humanly impossible when it is rolled up in the normal toilet paper type roll as it is unable to get sufficient oxygen to produce enough heat to sustain burning. However, tests will be made in regard to the roll of toilet paper by undersigned officer. Now you're probably wondering what happened with this. Well, tests were conducted on the toilet paper roll and no accelerant was found. Further, I want you to keep in mind that what you just heard, all of that was quoted from an actual police report where they officially made the statement of the activity possibly being of supernatural origin. The police did test Dwayne and then his mom and then his dad. All of them passed their polygraphs. Now, after Jerry Salfin had stayed with the family for some time, another professor from Duke arrived and his name was William. And it was while he was there that another fire broke out in the home. And this also happened to be in the bathroom. A cord from an electric toothbrush had been plugged in, but it had been cut. Next to the cord was a pair of scissors that no one remembers being there before. The fire gutted the bathroom and the entire rest of the house had extensive smoke and water damage. This would be the last time the Pomeranians lived in the home. Now, when the professors from Duke were finished with their reports on the house, they believed that the occurrences in the house were paranormal poltergeist phenomena. The townspeople though, fully believed it to be witchcraft. And it should be noted that Terry believes this as well. In 1978, the house, the original Pomeranian house, was sold to another family. Since that time, a few things have occurred to the young girls who are now grown, uh, who had grown up in the house. Things such as an antique radio turning on, even though it wasn't plugged in, and a face in the window with hands surrounding it, which they both saw. One daughter remembers that as a child, while she was sleeping, there was a flash as if someone had taken a picture of her and she always felt 
as if she was being watched. To this day, they continue to live there, even though their parents have since passed on. Now, while the daughters were living at this house, Steve Shippey, a paranormal investigator whose documentaries on this case uh, was actually the inspiration for this podcast, he received permission to investigate the home to see if whatever was there in the 1970s was still there. Along with Steve was well-known medium, Cindy Kaza, And as they walk through the home, placing equipment, Cindy, not knowing anything about the case, feels as though there was one person in the home, a child who was the focal point. Now, it was later revealed to her that Dwayne had an incident with the woman across the street that called herself an ordained witch. So Steve then decides to bring in an ordained witch named Miss Aida. She explains that the three iron X's that all the neighbors thought were very strange and that were above the garage door of the quote unquote witch's house were significant because iron is considered protective as are the exes. Miss Aida believes that the woman who was across the street from the Pomeranians was scared to death of something. When Miss Aida is told about what was happening in the house during the 70s, and what people had witnessed both in and outside of this witch's house, she believed it sounded more like a satanic cult and that they had summoned something more horrific and more terrible than what they had bargained for, something out of their control. Miss Aida also believes that the woman wanted to purchase this Pomeranian home because she wanted one home for her actual house and the other one as a place to hold her gatherings. Now, during this one particular documentary, Miss Aida does try to stem the negativity um, that this witch supposedly caused, but it's unclear if she was successful. As for the Pomeranian family, um, their dad, Harold Pomeranian, passed away in 1982 at the age of 60 Mabel passed a few years later in 1986 at the age of 64. And both sons believe that if it weren't for what they had to go through in the house, they would still be alive. Sadly, Dwayne Pomeranian passed away just recently on May 6th of 2023. Terry, his younger brother, was his caretaker for years due to Dwayne's inability to work. Now, Steve Shippey has covered this family story for years and has done many, many, many documentaries on it and interviews. And he did become very close with the family. And because of this, he set up a GoFundMe account to help with Terry with costs regarding to uh, Dwayne's funeral and other incidentals. So if you'd like to help, I'm going to put the link for that GoFundMe in the show notes. Lastly, if you're interested in watching the many interviews and documentaries on this case, which are fascinating, by the way, I'll also have all of these links included in the show notes. It is truly, truly incredible 
to watch these such, oh my gosh, wonderfully humble and nice men talk about the experiences that they had as young adults in the Pomeranian home. So please, if you can, take a moment and check out uh, those links. And that'll do it for this episode. Uh, next, uh, we're going to have the next episode in the Darley Routier case, where we'll hear from Christopher Wilgus, a nurse at the ICU at Baylor Hospital. We'll also hear from Phyllis Jackson, a Baylor Healthcare Police Officer, and Jody Kotner, the Trauma Coordinator at Baylor. After that, another Halloween episode coming your way. 